Hello. Hello, John. How are you? Hi, Dan. How's everything going? Oh, it's going really well. I'm just sitting here Googling op art versus pop art. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't really bear any more conversation. It just, <laughs> it's, it's that's just what a, I was doing. It's a fact. Op art versus pop art. Well, I have right here. I'm, I came prepared for the show today. I have something oh. right here. I want to, I want to prepare it. I want you to listen to it. And I want you to tell me, because I know you'll know exactly mm. what it is. All right. Mm. So l- listen, it's all an audio thing. All right. What was that the sound of? Was that a pull tab beer can? It was not beer. Oh, a pull tab pop can. There is something in it. And uh, it's something I think you should try. Uh, sardines? No, it's uh, it's a uh, LaCroix oh coconut flavored sparkling water. Ugh. Ugh. Now, what do Come you have on. opposed to that? What could be wrong with that? It's a It's purely good. No. There are a few things in the world that are purely good, and this is one of them. No. First of all, coconut flavoring is basically the flavoring of suntan lotion. It does taste so, like you imagine suntan lotion would, but in a good yeah. way. No. So you're no, so basically, basically Hold on, let me, ta- let me taste it. Mm. Oh no, that's really good. No, you're really licking refreshing. someone's back who no. has just had sun- suntan lotion applied. No. no. Yeah, that's what it is. Oh, it's good. Co- coconut is coconut flavor. Mm. First of all, if you if if you if you put coconut on a cake, for instance, you're basically putting suntan lotion flavored fingernail clippings on food. Ugh. Yeah, that's well, what I, it is. I mean, I agree. I would have agreed with you most of my life. I didn't like coconut. And if someone would be like, "We have an awesome cake," and I'd be like, "Great, what kind of cake is it?" And they'd be like, "This," and they'd they'd bring it out and i'd be like what's all over the top of that cake and I'm like coconut shavings because that's how you make something better and i said no and no. i was very apprehensive toward coconut until my family did the whole like gluten-free paleo thing where mm. now there there's a lot of great oils and things you can use but like seven great years oils. ago there was not it was all coconut oil Wait, there were a lot of good oils seven years ago. they didn't know. Ago. They didn't know about them. They didn't Who know didn't where know to get about them? them? The paleo community didn't know where. They didn't have the branding and the oh fame and God. the publicity to get it out in the world. Oh, my God. There are so many. The oils are one of the, they're one but of they, the right, like, earliest things. Them. Where are you going to get beef tallow from back beef then? T- yeah. Duck anywhere. Fat? Anywhere. Any butcher shop. Well, maybe. These in, are seattle but we didn't have those in oviedo florida i'm, I'm sorry the whole I wasn't concept of paleo is that it's old 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 foods right but you're so, so you're supposed to cook in the in the beef tallow you're supposed to cook in the beef tallow or the duck fat or the coconut oil. so anyway my wife brings home this coconut oil she's like that's what we're using now i'm like what's wrong with this kind of oil she's like it's not as good and we were like strict paleo for years i had to deal with the coconut yeah head on for yeah. a while and it, I was very opposed to it, and then yeah. it started to grow on me, and now it's one of my favorite flavors in the whole world. Dan, this is this is like classic classic Stockholm syndrome. Maybe you're right. Yeah, it's uh, as soon as you say it really had to grow on me yeah. over the course of several years. Yeah, 
It's like metal shavings would glow grow on you over several years. <laughs> well, I like uh, it. I like it now. Yeah. Have you but tried the, it though? Have you tried it? Here's the thing about flavored water. It is neither a it is neither water nor is it really a good drink. It's just what it's just water. Yeah. Which has had like some unpleasant taste in it because it came out of the taps of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you know, it's tap water from Atlanta that's been sitting in a holding pond. And then because it tastes like salt and aluminum, they put some vague taste of coconut or whatever that thing I was drinking the other day, peach pear, which are two things that do not belong together. If, if someone served me a meal and there were peaches on the plate and pears on the plate, I would keep them as far away from one another as I could. (laughs) And here they are like vague, a sort of aspartame flavored, uh, essences of these things injected into some fizzy water. It's just too many steps for an end product that tastes only vaguely like a thing. Just drink water. Just drink water and and like uh, and suck on a lollipop. Uh, <laughs> even if even a fake, even like an aspartame lollipop. I just don't see it. And I know people, people close to me, who drink those things by the metric ton. Yeah. Case after case of this like. And I don't know what it's doing for them. I mean, like I, when Merlin sits and drinks like three half racks of soda water uh-huh. at a time, yeah. which he does. I mean, Merlin will open a can of soda water. He'll absentmindedly walk around his house. He'll put it down half right. consumed and then he'll go back. It's like my dad smoking cigarettes, right? He would half smoke a cigarette, put it down in an ashtray, forget it was there and go light another cigarette. Yeah. Merlin's like that with those soda, soda cans until you walk around <laughs> If you go down in his garage, there's like 42 half drunk soda cans down there because he'll, because he, he opens one, he goes down in his garage to look for a screwdriver or whatever. He right. forgets, he puts the can down and leaves it. But these, so these, I mean that I understand it's just like unflavored fizzy water and those cans cost 15 cents a piece. Sure. By all means. Right. I mean, just buy, buy a half rack of them and just throw them out the window because it's an, it's a, it's basically cheaper than drinking tap water but those ones that are like and and maybe dan maybe i can understand lemon lime okay because that was always my go-to until i found the coconut yeah because lemon lime is like fizzy water you squeeze a little lime on it right that's as old as trees adding lime to something in a drink only can make it better it's as old as trees coconut i mean if i were washed up on a desert island yes yes i would develop a taste for coconut i would thank the heavens for coconut because here i'm this is the natural environment to eat coconut is a washed up on a on a uh, desert island Mm -hmm. or b you are a child who is born on a desert island or in a tropical place and the older kids and the adults uh make fun of you by making you climb up trees and and knocking coconuts down right that's like a that's a time-honored tradition make the little kid go up in the tree yes get the coconut which nobody really wants oh there's another thing though coconut milk as a base ingredient in thai food curry sure yes 
right? That's like, that, that needs no further explanation. That is delicious. But, but my, my, my ruling on coconut flavored, uh, like Atlanta tap water is no, thank you. Well, I don't, I mean, I, I, I fundamentally in principle, I think I agree with you, Mm -hmm. but I will say that this is maybe an exception to that. Mm -hmm. And, and I, Merlin got me on the whole seltzer water kick. I got, we got one of those little machine things with the. Yeah. The injector yeah. thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, <clears throat> there's something about the contemporary world where filling us full of gas <laughs> is part of the, it's part of some culinary revolution. It's <laughs> right. just like tap water. What are you talking about? That doesn't put enough gas in me. Well, but something happened with this LaCroix where I, I think I saw, you know, I saw like some woman, you know, like eating alone at the bench in front of the Whole Foods. And she had one. Uh-huh. And then the next week, like I saw, I started noticing them. Like they were, they were popping up everywhere, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and, and then like, I saw my wife walking around with one of these things, drinking it. I'm like, what's uh-huh. going on with like, why is everyone have? And then I go and I, and now I start noticing them. Perhaps they've been there all along. And now my radar is tuned in to see them, but now I see them everywhere. Like they're every, right. every, every human is walking with one of these. And I said, all it's, right, yeah. I'll just it's try like it. You start- you start dating somebody who drives a Volkswagen Rabbit. <laughs> yes. And you're like, Volkswagen Rabbit? Yeah. And then you start realizing, wow, there are Volkswagen Rabbits everywhere. I had completely forgotten about them. Yeah. Yeah. But here they are, LaCroix. LaCroix. So, I, you know, they're, they're very cheap. They're not, as, they're not the 15 cent per can, but they're, they're very affordable. They're very inexpensive. They have some kind of flavor. They're from Fort Lauderdale, not Atlanta. Not that there's much oh of Oh, my difference. God. The... Well, the tap water in Fort Lauderdale is top, top. <laughs> yeah, tap I mean, it's water. it's known that's one of their main exports. Is their yeah. their tap water? Yeah, yeah, it just comes up from the ground. That's right. No, thank you. Yeah. No, I I think that yeah. I mean, obviously, Dan, knowing you, you are compiling a spreadsheet of all the foods that you endorse that I decline. Well, it's only two so far, so it's it's easy to remember in my head. But I will <laughs> eventually have to. I I think we will eventually have to have a long spreadsheet but i'll i'll uh i'll source maybe, it maybe, you know i'll, I'll maybe we'll it. sit down you and i'll sit down at a long table mm-hmm. and you can bring out fluffernutters on a tray mm-hmm. and serve me coconut flavored Lacroix, <laughs> and i will endure it it'll <laughs> be like the it'll be like the, the henry the eighth feast right except henry the eighth is a totally deprived like tiny skinny king <laughs> Who's being who's being forced to eat garbage food? What else don't you like? Well, I don't like olives, and that would be a perf a bowl of olives, uh-huh. a tray of fluffernutters, washed down with coconut Lacroix. Now we're talking about a. This is going to be a hell of a party. Let's invite all our friends. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty much. Oh, and I don't eat potatoes. Nope. What white potatoes or sweet potatoes? I don't eat any kind of potatoes. No I'll potatoes. eat a sweet potato before I'll eat a white potato. But I, but you know, most of the time I'll put what a sweet potato. What about mashed potatoes with some fried chicken or something? I don't want any potatoes. I don't want French fries. I don't want potato no, chips. Wait a minute. Whoa, want... whoa, 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 whoa. No fries? Oh, gross. Fries are the king of food. No, I know everybody feels that way, but I don't eat them. Never is, did. Is there a reason you don't like it or Irish they, thing? Uh, <laughs> they yeah it's a, a prejudice against the irish yeah. 
No, uh, you know, uh, <coughs> in fact, we've discovered that I am, I am, uh, Irish mostly, or at least from my father's side. What we, what we assumed was Welsh. We did those genetic tests and it's like, nah, you're some, somewhere, you know, the Rodericks went over to Wales before 1700, but really you're Celts, you're Celts all the way back to before the, before the dawn Celts before Celts back to prehistory. Like, oh, great. Great. So much for my Irish racism. Yeah, there you go. But no, I don't like potatoes because they are a granular earth flavored food mm-hmm. that is only that the that has the texture of like mushy sand. <laughs> well, and they and the only the only reason that people eat them as is as delivery devices for fat. Right? You you're always ladling fat on these like dirt flavored on this dirt flavored mush. A real uh, an actual potato is just dirt in a ball. <laughs> and then you slice them up and you dip them in fat and you burn them. So it's like burned fat and then you cover them with fat in some fashion. Gravy or butter or all this other fat. And it's just like, no thanks, I'll just eat a handful of fat if I want fat. So I don't want a ball of dirt covered with fat, frankly. And I never did. Even from when I was a little kid. You go to a birthday party when you're five years old, what yeah. do they feed you? Just throw fat dirt at you in the form of chips and fries and hash browns. And I mean, I don't, I guess I never went to a party where they served me hash browns. Yeah, that would be a little, fun. but you know, you all, you, you stay the night at somebody's house, you wake up in the morning, there's hash browns. There's just potatoes everywhere. And there used to be even more potatoes in the seventies because there were only five kinds of food. Yeah. Right. So they're shooting potatoes at you all the time and I never wanted them. And then of course, everybody's like, what kind of kid doesn't eat potatoes? When you know, did like you I'm start s- not liking them? Have you never, liked never, them? never, never like never from the time, the first potato somebody put in my mouth, I was like, why are you putting dirt in my mouth? <laughs> and particularly <laughs> when macaroni exists, uh-huh. <laughs> if you're going to put some starch covered with fat in my mouth, why wouldn't I have the delicious macaroni, which does not taste or have the texture of dirt? Mm-hmm. Why would you, why macaroni is just as easy to make as potatoes. Well, it seems like you have a special relationship with macaroni because you've told me multiple on multiple (laughs) shows Mm -hmm. that macaroni and cheese seems to kind of be your go-to food. You've described how you will make a pot of it and then take the whole pot with the wooden spoon up and eat that in bed. Yeah, that's right. And so that's definitely sounds like it has a special place in your heart. Maybe that supplanted the the potato. Like, well, do you, or do I you never, go for more of a of a salty, savory flavor, or more of a sweet tooth kind of a person? I am. <clears throat> I think if you had to, if I had to pick a way, I would be savory, right? Because I don't want. I mean, I like a waffle. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't? But, well, right. But if you're, if you were like, okay, you get for the rest of your life to either eat waffles and French toast and pancakes for breakfast every morning, yeah. or eggs with 
green peppers, onions, and some kind of sausage or bacon or hamburger every morning, I would definitely pick the eggs over the, uh, over the pancakes because you know, you eat pancakes once and then you're good for a month. Whereas spicy eggs, I'll eat spicy eggs anytime. Yeah. I like them too. But if you are going to deprive me of like late night cake and ice cream, then I don't know what I don't, I wouldn't know what to do. Right. I mean, I'll eat spicy eggs all day long. Spicy eggs from morning till night, spicy eggs until about 11 p.m., and then I want cake and ice cream. There's a time, like it's a time thing, too. Yeah, I don't want, I don't want sweet foods in the, in the day. Sweet foods are, are for night when you're holed up in your cave. That's when you eat the pears. You don't eat the pears in the morning. So, yeah, but macaroni and cheese, I mean, when I was a kid... In the seventies, what did you eat? Pork chops and hamburgers, hot dogs, and I guess spaghetti was the one ethnic food that had made it over the <laughs> over the wall. Tater tots? No, I don't want a tater tot. I'd shoot if I could have a gun that shot tater tots. I would. Do, I'd shoot them all day. Cinema. That's actually a great idea. I would a tater, my tater tot gun. Tater tot gun, and I would just shoot. It. And the thing is, frozen tater tots fine, but I would rather have the gun shoot cooked tater tots. What a great gun that would be! Can you imagine if you had a machine gun that <laughs> shot hot tater tots? <laughs> Holy! Oh, I want this now. Yeah, no, that's a pretty good thing. Like a fifty cal, like a like a a machine gun that's actually like hard mounted to the back of a Toyota Hilux. <laughs> I, I mean, I could see this being something that the neighborhood dogs would really get into, uh-huh. you know? What if you went to a music festival and you pulled up and you just started shooting hot tater tots that in the air? That would be pretty good. There'd be all, all those people that love that kind of thing. You're, you're, you're shooting them into the crowd at Coachella, but you know, you're aimed up in the air. So the tater tots are coming down. You're not just splatting people with it. People are opening their mouths. It's like raining tater tots. Yeah. I would like to be the one that is making it rain. But if, <laughs> but if I were in that crowd and tater tots were coming down, I would be highly offended. Are you feeling but better yeah. though? I mean, are you, he- are you healed up? Are you well enough to operate a machine like that now? Oh, you're asking about my, my, my health, my yeah. declining health. Yes. Uh, I think that I probably have like four different kinds of cancer. And I know cancer is not a thing that everybody wants to joke about, but listen, you get to be a certain age and the only thing that you can attribute your problems to is cancer. Well, I, wait, I was more thinking of like, are you over the cold that you had? But well, yeah, but that's what I mean. The cold has to just be a symptom of cancer. And because I'm a middle-aged man, I don't want to go into the doctor and get diagnosed because you know you figure you're just gonna when it's fight your time it they'll come get you yeah the other day the, the other day there was like a water stain on the bottom of my on the kick plate of my kitchen and i was like wow what's that and you know it's not a thing that you normally see but i was down on my hands and knees picking something up that my daughter had thrown there mm-hmm. and i was like oh, look at that there's a little water stain under the cabinet and uh and i said oh well that'll probably fix itself 
And then the the uh, ru- the area rug that I keep on the kitchen floor was a little damp. Yeah. I was like, oh, maybe somebody spilled some water at the sink. Well, whatever. It'll fix itself. And then I went to New York for a week. And when I came back, I, I made a point to look under there. And it was wetter. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, it doesn't appear that it's fixing itself. So I put on a flash, I put on a, a headlamp and I went down into the basement. Oh boy. And it was raining in the basement. Really? I said, well, it, it has not fixed itself. And so it was determined, um, by the plumber that I called that the dishwasher, one of the, one of the modern conveniences that's meant to uh, relieve us of all this onerous work so that we can all be artists, right? We don't have to do the dishes anymore. Yeah. We don't have to, we don't have to iron and starch our shirts anymore. Right. And now we have all this free time and we're all going to be using Etch-a-Sketches to design mandalas, ma- mandalas. You're the Buddhist. How, how do you pronounce that? Mandala, I think. Mandalas. I think so. We'll all be Etch-a-Sketching mandalas. But no, the dishwasher is not saving me any time or money because it has decided to break. Mm. It's not under warranty anymore. It's decided to break underneath in an invisible place. And the water, because of the construction of my kitchen, did not run out onto the floor, but instead down went, went behind the cabinets and down to, to soak the basement. Oof. And so today, Dan, after our podcast, I have a, because I, I, I asked a plumber to come to the house. The plumber Mm. said, I don't fix appliances, but I did make a house call. So even though I've only been here 10 minutes, normally I would charge you $250 for the 10 minutes that I was here, but, and no, you know, no sliding of plumbers. They are, they are essential. He gave me a discount of $150 for the oh, 15 minutes. Wow. That's $10 a, $10 a minute. <laughs> uh, and now today I have an appliance repair person coming and the appliance repair person, I think has a 75% chance of telling me that what I should do is buy a new appliance, but maybe the appliance repair person will, will tell me that it's an easy, an easy fix. <laughs> But you know the 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 uh, the pots and pans are piling up in the sink, not yeah, because I mean, you I, can't you can't wash those. Well, no, no, it's not because I uh, I don't hand wash dishes, but it's because I had to shut the hot water off to the kitchen in order to keep the dishwasher, the broken dishwasher, from continuing oh, to flood yeah. the basement. So now I got no hot water in there, and I could schlep those pans up to the bathtub. At that point. No, you don't wash anything in the bath. That's not sanitary. No, it's terrible. I don't know about sanitary. You can use soap in the bathtub just as easily as in the sink. Why would you say it wasn't sanitary, Dan? I mean, I I don't know. This secondary body spray, I don't know. It just doesn't strike me as sanitary conditions for washing plates and utensils in a in a bathroom what goes on in the bathroom you know stays what is what is 
What did you say? Secondary body spray? Yeah. What is that? Okay, so I went to South Korea in like 2000. This is not where I thought this was going to go, but yeah. And we spent uh, we spent about two weeks there staying with extended uh, family on my mm-hmm. wife's side. And so we, we really got the experience of visiting South Korea. We didn't, we didn't stay in like a Western style hotel. We, you know, we lived essentially with, with family in their homes, the way that they lived, which was very, very different from what anything I was used to, you know, you sleep, essentially you sleep on the floor, uh, not really always with a pillow, just sometimes just laying, laying on the floor, the sort of a blanket draped across you. With with no pad, no pad. Sometimes they would have a pad. Sometimes not. I mean, if you were lucky, you got. They had like a little. And it's like a quilt, sort of, that would go down there. But the floors are heated, uh, so it's. I guess that's warming to you. But uh, they uh-huh. there were people who had like even eating. You know, you sit you sit cross legged on the floor. You don't sit up at a table. And uh, we stayed with one family. He was a retired colonel. And he spoke perfect English. And they had, uh, like, he, we got there and they had, like, a, a dining room table, like a full-on, you know, fancy wooden dining room table, like carved wood. It was beautiful. And he said, oh, we, ne- we never use that. We just don't. We just got, it was almost like a, in a way, it was like a status symbol. Uh-huh. Like, that wasn't something you would actually use. It was more like, we've got this thing. Like, check this out. It's uh-huh. Western. So, while I was there... One of the things that, and I don't know if it's still this way in South Korea or not, but their bathrooms, although they might have a shower stall, they don't, they, at least back then, they, nobody, and I can say universally because we stayed with multiple different families all across South Korea, multiple mm-hmm. different cities, towns, no shower curtains. Right. And in the center of the bathroom floor, in the, not just in the, where the shower is, but in the center of the bathroom floor, there is a drain. Yeah. The implication being water's going to be spraying everywhere in this whole room. There's just a drain in the center of the room. Everything will just roll out right into the drain. Right. And they have by the door little... uh I just call them flip-flops yeah. that you are to put on when you go into the bathroom because it's just a given that the whole floor will be wet. Right. From people washing, showering, whatever. Right. And so you go, you go into the, this thing and you turn on the shower. Like, wait a minute. There's no, like, there's no shower curtain. There's nothing here. And I thought it was a fluke the first place I stayed. I'm like, it's got to be a fluke. A fluke. And the second place we went to, same thing. No shower curtain. Second fluke. And it just stayed that way. And I said, you know what? Like, if we could convince South Korea to start using shower curtains, we could become like, this could be a business opportunity. We could come here, oh. show them that they what they're missing with shower curtains. Uh-huh. But like, revolutionize, revolutionize the, the take bring the them out of the out third of world. The, you know what I'm saying? Shower. Yeah, make them a, a, a modern country. Uh-huh. So, but they would have like their toothbrushes and stuff. Sitting right yeah, out by the out. right by the sink, where everyone in the whole family is showering and it's spraying, it's getting on everything. They're pooping, everything's out. 
I see. That's the secondary body spray. Well, I was there, and the least germaphobic person I've ever met is my brother-in-law, and he was there for the trip. And he was he was grossed out by it. And I said, because, and I didn't want to give away that I was revolted. You know, I'm trying to like uh, play it cool. Of course. Yeah, very cool. And he's like, oh, it's disgusting. Like, why? He, and he said, secondary body spray. <laughs> Uh, so this was his coin. It's his from 15 years ago, but that's yes, that's the origin and the genesis of that. So you, what you're imagining is that you're there in the in the open shower, and some water is ricocheting off of you. Of course, it is potentially ricocheting off the toilet, or or then, just off of you. Even <sighs> is fine. It's mixed with soap right, and other detritus from your yeah. your body. Yes, our, our bodies are all basically just toilets. Yes. It's ricocheting off you, and then kind of like the bullet that killed Kennedy. <laughs> yes. It, it, it takes another turn, and then it goes through Governor John Connolly, and mm-hmm. then it hits your toothbrush, uh-huh. and all of a sudden, disease is spread. I'm not saying you're going to get sick from this. I'm saying you just got to make sure you don't think about it when you're in there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So every time but you I'm go into saying, the bathroom. Like, to me, the bathroom I don't think of as a place where you're doing a lot of natural body stuff and cleaning co-mingling that doesn't seem like a place you want to bring your dishes to clean them Uh Uh do you eat let me ask you a personal question do you eat your meals do you take meals in the bathroom absolutely no yes i eat meals in the bathroom all the time here's what i do dan i walk into the bathroom i close the toilet and i put my plate of hot food on the closed toilet seat no. Yeah. While no, I no. fill up the bathtub, then I scoot the little table over where I have my magazines full of crossword puzzles, and then I sometimes will just eat the meal with it still resting on the toilet seat. I don't usually I don't usually say meal and toilet in the same <laughs> sense because because to me the to- the seat the closed seat of the toilet even if it is. Even if it is, even if it has secondary body spray on yeah. it, the plate which contains the food protects the food from. Like my sense of germs is not that they, first of all, crawl, mm-hmm. or second of all, leap. Mm-hmm. They neither crawl nor leap. What if they're so airborne? Not, well, airborne germs are. Airborne germs are everywhere. They're not any close. The toilet seat is not exuding airborne germs. It's not spraying germs into the air. Hmm. And germs are just maybe they're they sort of are. You're there. saying they're stuck to the thing that they're they're on the surface. I can go along they're, with that. Maybe they're adhered. Maybe they're maybe they are. Maybe you keep your bathroom mostly clean. Although I can't really claim that I do. <laughs> but like. But uh, my my feeling is that I that the that the transmission of germs to food happens when you don't wash your hands. That's the ninety nine percent of the germs that would ever end up in food are from that. And eating in the bathtub is one of the great joys of my life. I got a crossword puzzle. I got my novel. I have my little bath desk. Are you in the bathroom right now? No, no, but I am podcasting from bed again. Again? You're still in bed? Well, because I'm waiting for the I'm waiting for the appliance repair guy and All it was right. like I got up, I changed my bed. I changed the sheets today. How long had it been? 
Oh, you know, week and a half, maybe. Oh, I was expecting a different answer. No, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep myself, uh, you know, I don't want to be portrayed here as someone who's living in a hovel with, you know, just food in his bed and just licking the toilet. <laughs> but I, but I have, I, I have been to many places where the, the bathroom is in the entire enclosure considered a shower, a bathing yes. area. I once stayed in a, in a public housing uh, apartment, you know, a, uh, a efficiency one room apartment in a Romanian public housing in the city of Arad. I was staying with this girl who was living in this, in this building and there were, you know, it was, it was a decrepit building. There were no light bulbs in the hallways. So you're kind of kind of feeling your way down this concrete hallway. You got to her apartment and her bathroom was very small. It was the size of a, uh, the size of a wardrobe almost Mm -hmm. concrete walls, bare concrete, not even painted. And it was, uh, there was a toilet in there and then there was a, there was a, uh, an electric cord that came out of some hole in the wall and draped down and then was hung on a hook and then there was a light bulb and then the cable continued on to be, I don't know, connected to a hairdryer or something. And this entire wardrobe was also a shower. And as far as I could tell, <laughs> you, were, you were actually meant to sit on the toilet when you showered because there really wasn't even anywhere to stand. And that was a situation where I was a little bit insecure. Yeah. Because in order to be in this enclosed space, you had to have the light on. You couldn't be in there in the dark. But with the light on, it seemed like you were you were in a death chamber. Yeah. Ugh. And then sitting on the toilet to shower, I, it's not that I thought it was unsanitary. But <laughs> no, wait, I... I was comfortable, but this was a, these were living conditions. I mean, she was a very tidy young lady. I could only imagine what the neighboring apartments were like. Mm. If anybody, if anybody in there didn't take care of themselves, or if it was a family of three living in this apartment that was the size of a wardrobe, but it all, it all, it put in perspective for me. I mean, I think maybe if you lived in an apartment in Cabrini Green, you would probably have more, quite a bit more space than this girl had, but also at the very least a shower that was, if your shower worked, it was not an, uh, like an electrocution chamber. Right. I never was in an apartment in Cabrini Green, so I can't say for sure. But it seems like American public housing at least was built with enough of a utopian notion in the beginning that they were trying to, uh, maybe that the shower was differentiated from the toilet. But in Romania in the 1960s, I think they were just throwing it up as, you know, they're just making concrete forms and figuring that that's figuring that that people would live in there, but the people that were designing the building and the people that were human beings were different people or uh-huh. something. I'm, I don't know how, 
I, honestly, I don't know how it, that they managed to do it there, but, but yeah, so I, I have been in that exact same situation. In fact, Dan, in my GMC RV, the entire bathroom is also a shower. You know, but, but I feel like you have to make spell. special accommodations in an, in an RV. Yeah, I think you do. Yes. I mean, you, you know, you're not expecting if you're, if you're living out of an RV for a while, you're not expecting luxury. It's, it's certainly, you know, it's civilized, but it's not, it's not yeah, posh. Right. No one's talking about it being posh. You don't get a Turkish bath in there unless you, <laughs> unless you really just leave the shower running and let the whole thing steam up. <laughs> but I think of the Korean people as being very bath and well, hot yes. water oriented. Yes, there are there are the bathhouses, which are very, very, very popular there. That's like a a regular pastime is going to the the bath, and yeah, they're are, kind of like a combination of there's there's saunas, there's pools that you're in. I did not get the opportunity to go to one while I was there. I think I, I think knowing you that you avoided the opportunity. I didn't. To to- I had no opportunity to go. Oh, I would have. I probably would have gone. Do you? And now, how do you feel sleeping on a floor? Well, fifteen years ago, it it, it wasn't as crippling as it probably would be today. <laughs> but uh, I didn't like it. I didn't sleep well on the floor for two weeks. There was one time we went. Sure. We were one part of the trip. We were in Pusan, and uh, this is a beautiful sort of a, you know, it's a it's a beach town, and uh, it's it's beautiful. And they have this great beach, which is Hyundai Hyundai Beach. I hope I'm saying that right. Sorry. And of the whole time that we were there, we hadn't spent any money at all on staying anywhere. We were just with family. So my wife and I said, you know what, it would be kind of cool. Why don't we just like they have this beautiful, like really nice like hotel that's right on the beach. Like, why don't we just kind of be tourists in Pusan for a, a couple nights, you know? And so I said to the to our handler, I said, could you, you know, take us to uh, like, let's go to a hotel and, the, you know, maybe we'll do that. We'll explore the city on our own a little bit, you know? And they were like, yeah, okay. So they took us in, the, in this hotel that they took us to is, you know, have you ever seen the, the like the little, like basically they're like a, a one room, like a suite where it's just, it's one room and talking about having like the toilet out, like everything is like right there in the one little square room. I'm like, we were thinking something a little bit, a little bit nicer than that, like bigger and nicer. And he said, jokingly, he says, Oh, right. And he points over toward like the far corner of the Island. He says, Hyatt. And I see there's this gleaming modern Western building that I think it was a, it had become a Marriott, but it was a Hyatt at one point, which was like the best hotel in, in town. Right. And sending up a bat signal, except instead of the bat signal, it's a picture of your face. Right. And I was like, oh, there's big beds here. I'm like, you know what? It wouldn't be bad to have a respite and like a nice night's sleep on a, in a Western style bed after spending a week and a half in on the floor. And I said, okay, well, let's just see how much it is. And so we went in there. I went, I went inside and people were all, they were speaking English to me when I walked in, which was not what had happened the you know, up until that time, like I, my, right. my understanding is if you go to, you know, places like, and, and perhaps it's different in Korea now, but 15 years ago, 
uh, very, very, if you were not in Ite, Itaewon by the, uh, by the American base, the army base there, the, mm-hmm. there was no English. Now, they might speak English, but they were not going to speak English to you. They, I see. You know. Uh, so I went in there and they're like, hello, how may I help? And I was like, whoa, okay. And uh, I said, how much is a night? And they told me whatever it was, it, it worked out to be like about 80 bucks or 90 bucks a night for like a high floor beach view like five-star hotel this would have been in any beach city in the u.s it would have been at that time probably five or six hundred bucks a night and i was like right wow yes please like well it also comes with complimentary dinner drink tickets and this and the other thing and i said all right Right. So and you were uh, thinking to yourself, what the hell have I been doing this whole time? Yeah, thank you. And I, so yeah. I went down to the car and, and I said, yeah, we're, we're staying here. And our handlers looked at me like I like I had just rented out a multimillion dollar yacht and I was going to be, you know, staying on that. They like they could not because I mean, th- these were working class folks that we were staying with. And the idea of spending whatever it was, 321 a night was that was like, forget it. Like, I'm like, listen, mm-hmm. is 80 bucks. Like, I can do this. I can do this. Sure. So we went in and we, we looked in at that bed, my wife and I, and we looked at that bed and we said, all right, you know what? Let's just, we'll just rest for a minute and then we'll go yeah. to something. And we slept yeah. over 12 hours. We didn't even move. <sighs> we didn't get changed. Nothing. Uh-huh. We just laid there sleeping. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't think I could do it quite as easily now. You know, like yeah. with back issues and stuff like that. But what makes you think you have cancer? Oh, uh, well, I'm almost sure that I have a hundred cancers. Well, from because, why? well, just as payback, right? The way I've lived, you gotta. I mean, every time I go into the doctor and they say, "Do you smoke?" I'm like, "No." Did you smoke? This is the this is a new thing that they do. They didn't oh, used to do to collect this. a history on you. Yeah, they say they, they used to say, "Do you smoke?" And if you said no, they'd check some box. And you know, when I was a kid, half the time the doctor smoked. <laughs> right, they'd be smoking while they're doing. They'd the be exam. smoking what? Yeah, smoking with that little <laughs> mirror on their forehead. <laughs> right. Do you smoke? <laughs> no, I'm seven years old. But that, but now they say, "Did you smoke?" Right, and and then I have to say, "Yeah, I did." And they say, "How long did you smoke?" It's like, "Come on, come on, get off it. Let's get off this topic." And they're like, "How long did you smoke?" Eh, mm, twenty years. Mm. And then they go, they nod solemnly mm. and check off some. They turn the page to check off a box. I'm like, I see. I see how this is. This is all going to catch up to me. Because I smoked like a fiend. Did you? Right? And, and I, smoked cig- I smoked cigarettes and I smoked pot and I smoked crack and whatever you could smoke. So I figure uh, that's coming at me. And then my dad, uh, you know, had little skin cancers all the time. Even though he always attributed those skin cancers to the fact that he... Um, you know, he made the world safe for democracy by fighting World War II in the South Pacific. He was a, f- a fairer-skinned man than I am. And I don't, I, I, I didn't, I, you know, I was never in, uh, I was never, like, in Bougainvillea or Bougainville. 
uh, fighting fighting any kind of war for America. So, but I still feel like probably I'm going to get the skin cancers. I hope. And not. then you know I'm a middle aged guy. I just assume that I'm going to get prostate cancer. So here you got lung cancer, you got skin cancer, prostate cancer. Those are just the basic ones that I probably have. Mm. And then there's like attitude cancer. <laughs> I, I feel like you're the you're the kind of guy who's gonna go. You know, like you've you've done everything that you're not supposed to do in your life. Yeah, not everything, but yeah, a lot of it. Well, I never killed anybody. No, I'm talking about like to your own body. Oh, I see. Uh, let's see. What are the sins that I didn't to yourself? Yeah, like let's you've, let's you've just everything. let's assume that. Yeah, and I think you're gonna you're gonna outlive everybody. Hmm. You're one of those people. I I just know it. I've always known this about you. Well, I hope so. I would love to outlive everybody. I'd love to be 160 years old and have sired like 80 kids. You're just getting started. Your first kid is just number one of of 50 to come. Here, here. So while you're uh, laying there in bed, John, (coughs) convalescing. Yeah. uh, We were talking before before the show that we have a, a sponsor, Mack Weldon. And you said mm-hmm. that you are wearing the Mack Weldon underwear right now. I am wearing my <laughs> Mack Weldon in bed un- underwear in bed, which is and it's underwear which is, uh, which is threaded through, which is which is constructed partly out of silver, right? Real silver, S- silver fibers or silver <laughs> is. Silver is like somehow incorporated into the fabric of the underwear, which feel very silky. And the silver is meant to neutralize whatever bad things happen in one's underwear. In underwear, yeah. Odors, other things. Odors. Yeah. Odors. Right. Let's call it odors. Yeah. <laughs> but so <laughs> this underwear. Let's call it odors. Let's just put it in the, lar- the broad category of odors. Right. But I got this underwear because I saw that there were there was this underwear made out of silver, and I said, if there's a thing, if there was an if there's an underwear that I should have, <laughs> yes, it's silver underwear, silver underwear, literally made of silver. I didn't realize I needed this until I saw it, and then I absolutely needed it, <laughs> and I have it now, and I'm very happy with it. I wish all my underwear were silver. <laughs> it feels I bet, almost I bet like, that could be arranged. Oh God, I hope so. It feels like I'm wearing mithril. Oh, that's the right? mythical I, fabric. Mithril, uh, the 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 lightweight chainmail that uh, that Frodo finds right. in the uh, finds in the horde of smog. Mm. Or no, wait a minute. Somebody gave him the mithril. Maybe it was the elves in uh, in uh, Elendil. Or Arvin, Arvindel, whatever the hell. Somebody gave him a mithril vest that's very lightweight and, and protects him against knife wounds. And that's how I feel about my silver underwear. And I want now a, a, a silver undergarments because I will go, I'll go out into the world much more capably uh, attired to fight dragons, to uh, fool trolls. What, what what could be what I I beg you yes what 
is more me than than garments <laughs> made of silver thread. I, I, I have no idea. I don't think there is anything. <laughs> no, it absolutely feels like an elven fabric. Uh, do you do you wear it as you sort of get ready for the day? You put it on and then get back into bed, or are you sleeping in it? No, or, Dan, it, or are may, those two things one and the same? This may this may appall you, but I sleep in the all together. Oh no, I li- I like knowing that. Yeah, I'm a naked sleeper. Nice. And no, <laughs> I I got up this morning and I put on my underwear and t-shirt, and I you know that's your dress down. for the day. You're done. Well, I mean, that's the, that's house dress, <laughs> right? Home, home dress. I walked around in my underwear and t-shirt. I did my morning th- ablutions. I, <laughs> I, uh, went to the kitchen, didn't know what to do in the kitchen, left the kitchen. I read the news. Uh, and then I came back to bed to do the podcast, but still attired in my, in my silver, my garments of silver. And, uh, you know how everybody, I'm assuming that everybody is like this. Everybody has their special pair of underwear. Yeah, I I guess. You have a special pair of underwear? I have a series of underwear that I, I would consider to be better than the rest, but I don't have an individual pair. But if it's a special day, if you're going to a big meeting or you have a, you have some event later on in the day, that's really, uh, that that you're thinking about in the morning, it matters to you. Do you put on some series one underwear? I think I've, you no, know, I think I got something, you know, special for that. Oh, I see. Is so the you Mac do have, Weldon, is the Mac Weldon your special underwear now? Well, up until recently I had a, so there was a, there was, I've always had at least one pair of special underwear. And until very recently it was a pair of boxer shorts with a very elaborate floral pattern. Oh. And I knew when I had the flower boxers on, that I was headed out into the day and I had a little bit of a confirmation bias. If the day went well, I attributed it to the flowered underwear. And if the day went poorly, I tried to forget that I was wearing the flowered underwear because I didn't want to think that they didn't have a little magic in them. Mm -hmm. But now my Mac Weldon, like silver sugar pants Mm -hmm. are absolutely the like, these are the bulletproof underwear that I wear to the, to the special events. And so far it's all, it's all turned out just as well as I could expect. Right. The, the, uh, the silver, uh, underpants yes. are, appear to be giving me special powers in the world. <laughs> the only problem is I only have one pair of the silver underpants and I cannot, I can't be, um, I can't be so protected all the time. I have to save them yeah. for when they're really needed. So, you know, so because it's, uh, you know, this is their, their special pants. You don't, you don't just, you don't just have, you don't just go to the store and buy 50 pairs of these things. No. Like I went to Costco a couple of years ago and they had champion brand underpants. Right on sale and those I bought, are not going to become your number ones though no no, no. i bought a, a whole like shelf of them because i was like why not have all why not have all the underpants you know there's a <laughs> this is a tradition among certain types of people and i think it's spread to more and more of us where you have a certain utilitarianism when it comes to certain items of your daily project 
And for me, it was for a while there, it was underwear where I just said, all my underwear are going to be the same. They're all going to, my mom has it with socks. She just buys 40 pairs of the same socks. She never has to think about it again. Now me, every one of my, every pair of socks I have is different, but for whatever reason, I thought all of my underwear should be the same. Now I have these Mac Weldon underpants, which are, you know, like I almost feel like they should have their own drawer. And I'm gradually realizing that these champion underwear just need, I need to put them in the tater tot cannon and just get them out, get them out of my life. Cause, <laughs> cause I've realized what I want is special. I, every day I have a special pair of underwear. I don't want to have, what was I thinking? Utilitarianism yeah. in underwear is not a, that's not a, oh, that's no way to live. So yes. So anyway, this is, you know, you only, you only, you only are ever introduced to something magic every once in a great while. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Where, where you think like, I, I figured all the underwear sciences had been taken care of years ago. Right. There's no way to like put silver in the underwear. Like you can't do that. And then right here it is. If, if you had, if you had offered me a list of things that I wanted to have happen and on that list of things, <laughs> you put silver underwear. Right. I don't even know if I would have chosen it. Because I would have thought, what does that even mean? You can't, that, that's like a dream beyond dream. <laughs> you yeah. know, I would have picked, I would have picked something else like a, like a working hoverboard or something. Right. Because it would have been more plausible than that. Somebody would make underwear out of silver. But well, here they, we are. We're living in the future. Yeah. Mack Weldon makes these and they also make socks. They make shirts. And, uh, as John is uh, proof, they're good for working out. Going to the gym, mm. they're good for wearing just on a regular regular basis. Good for wearing in bed. Good for podcasting. Good for podcasting in bed. Yep, whatever you want to do. And they made a special uh, promo code for you. The promo code is Roadwork, one word, Roadwork, mm-hmm. and you'll get twenty percent off. So you go to Mac Weldon, M A C K Weldon, W E L D O N, Mac Weldon, twenty percent off using the code roadwork. And uh, I think now, John, they will have to, they'll be obligated to send you more. Well, then that's number one. That many, that many more, that many more special days. Every day Um, will be, they're going to have to run with that, but every day will be a special day. I hope so. In your Mac Weldon. The the thing about this uh, Mac Weldon company also that's, that surprised me is that they do not, they're a company that has decided that they only make underwear, t-shirts, and socks. Right, that's it. They're they're not trying to put any collars on their shirts. They're not trying to say we're you know we're getting into the pants business. You know they're they are conf- <laughs> they're confining their area of expertise, which I admire greatly. Right, if you have a company that only makes ten things, you got to do it right. You know it's going to be right. Yeah, you're down. You're you are into this thing and you're down with it. You're not trying to get out there. Mac Weldon isn't gonna isn't gonna try and buy Maxell tapes no. at any point. No, I hope not. Right? They're not gonna they're gonna say, Oh, now we have Mac Weldon hangers and Mac Weldon carburetors, you know, they're just like boom, underwear T shirts. And uh <laughs> and that that makes a lot of sense to me too. Yeah. I remember there was a guy in my first, my first job or second job out of school. 
And there was this one guy and me and him and a, one of the other guys in the office were talking and they were both, they were both in their thirties, maybe thirties, early forties. And I guess I had, you know, a dentist appointment. I said, ah, oh, they got to do another filling. And the one guy says, oh, I've never had a cavity. Oh my God. And the other guy looked at him. It's like, well, you're my age, right? And he said, yeah. He's like, how, how have you never had a cavity? He's like, oh, I just brushed my teeth. That's all. And he's like, well, what's your secret? Like, what's the secret? What are you doing? He said, I buy the hardest toothbrush that I can. And yeah. I brush as hard as I can for as oh, long wow. as I can take it. And I've done this for 20 years. And Bill looks at me. He's like, just shaking his head. He's like, is that what you do? I'm like, no. He's like, that's not what I do either. He's like, that's everything we know to be wrong about how to take care of your teeth. Yeah, that's ev pro everything says that's exactly what we should not. And yet the two of us are here with cavities and he's there. No cavity. Yeah. I feel like that's going to be your situation. You, you, you've had a lifetime of pushing your body to the extremes and you will walk away unscathed from it. You won't die until you're bored. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got a new lady friend. Oh, nice. Who has no cavities. Really? Keeper? None, right? And I don't know why. Well, I, don't, I don't think she brushes her teeth uh, that much. I don't even think she brushes her teeth that much. How does she not and, have cavities? Is it a diet? Genetics? What's well, no. I think it, I think, well. Is it a you special know, when lady I was growing, or a lady friend? Well, well, yeah, she's a special lady. All right. When I was growing up in Alaska, uh, we, we, uh, told ourselves or the, you know, the, the, the legend on the street was that if you just ate muktuk <laughs> your whole life, yes, you were never exposed to sugar, uh, you would never get cavities. So the, the, uh, you know, the Eskimos, this is whale blubber, right? Muktuk. Yeah. yeah okay. If you just, you know, if you just chewed on muktuk all the time, it wouldn't give you any tooth decay strong teeth and gums and so the oil you know the old pre-contact eskimos never had any kind of uh tooth problems right but then they were introduced to western food and then all of a sudden you know it all came apart yeah. because they were just eating uh american food and it was no good for you and so <laughs> we would tell ourselves that you know we should all we should all have just a muktuk diet, but mm -hmm. of course that's not that's not what you want. Um, but I think there are. I think that you can have strong gums and shitty teeth. I think you can have strong teeth and shitty gums, or I think you can be one of the lucky ones that has strong teeth and strong gums, and that's... you can just live your life. You can just eat coconut and potato tots all day, all right? Never suffer any ill consequences, or you can be somebody that religiously brushes their teeth and always has, and still get cavities because. Because uh, God uh, likes some people and not others. I think that's what it comes down to. Well, yeah, there might be there might be something to your theory of of that. I I can tell you that some bizarre things have happened to me since I went essentially, you know, like gluten free and stopped eating kind of like anything processed, and I don't really eat like food with sugar in it that much, and bizarre things have happened did your eyelashes grow longer well are you more are you more attractive to the opposite sex uh, i mean obviously but i was um i was so slowly 
like my hairline was kind of like thinning and receding slowly and that completely stopped. I was hypoglycemic. That stopped. But that's not what's making me think of this. Did your did your receding hairline stopped, uh, stop being, or did it did your hairline start advancing back down your forehead? It may have done that a little bit. I would have to go back to the to the pictures to see. But here's something that's interesting. I had, you know, I go to the dentist and as they're looking at, at your teeth, they'd say, oh, well, let's put a watch on C-17. We'll put a watch on this. And, and basically that's where they basically are just saying like, this one looks like you're going to get a cavity in there. So mm-hmm. w- next visit, we'll make sure we look at that one closely because you're probably going to need to get that filled. And progressively each time that would come back and some of the watches would convert to cavities and other ones that weren't yet watches would now be watches. And that was a very regular thing, even though I was brushing, even though I was flossing, everything else. Then I went paleo for a few years and uh, they stopped finding new watches and then they would take watches off of, uh, of some of the other teeth. And I thought that was really weird. And so I started researching it and apparently this is like a known thing that like your teeth can remineralize themselves if what you, if, really yes because they're bone they're living things they're not dead stumps in your mouth they're living your teeth are living remineralize they can remineralize themselves and the last time i went in and no watches down uh-huh. from seven watches i'm not brushing or flossing any different uh-huh. your teeth can come back well this is very good news because you're gluten because- free now well, off and on. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, uh, I remember I still... the first time I met you in person. Yeah. It was at XOXO a few years, two, three years ago. And we were sitting there and, uh, and you said, you know, said I've been, uh, I've been gluten free for a while now. I said, oh, really? You're like, yeah, I know you're into the whole gluten free thing. I said, yeah. You said, I said, well, good for you. You said, yeah, until recently. I said, yeah. what happened? You said, well, it was my birthday mm-hmm. and I ate a whole bunch of pizza. I said, how yeah. do you feel? And you said, I feel like shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, oh. Uh, gluten continues to make me feel like shit, but just because something makes me feel like shit has never impeded me from pursuing <laughs> that thing. Uh, and now, and now gluten reliably makes me feel like shit. So I know what I'm getting into. Right. 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 It's like, I'm going to eat this and then I'm going to feel like shit. And so like all things that affect future John, present John does not and traditionally has never taken future John's feelings or the convenience of future john into consideration when making decisions about present john right right and past john uh well that's what i mean past john has never ever considered future john now present john of the moment you know like sitting here right now talking to you with no looming decisions about the condition of future john right when we're doing our podcast we're just we're outside of the of time almost we're not considering anything but the but the conversation the present present moment right but as soon as i am done and and headed down the stairs i immediately begin taking future john into consideration or not 
And, you know, in the small ways, it's like, do I replace the toilet paper on the roll Mm -hmm. because it's out? Does that benefit me now? No, I have just used the last of the toilet paper. I am leaving the bathroom and let future John worry about it when he has to go to the bathroom. But you're not, you're not being very kind to. No, no. In, in many ways, I despise future John. <laughs> Just based on the way I treat him. <laughs> oh, my God. Right? Yes. Like, when I say, I would like a piece of chocolate cake, it is one of life's great pleasures. Oh, for sure, there is a momentary consideration of future John and how he's going to feel about it. And even beyond that, future future John, who is looking one day into the mirror as I know he will because he's vain. Future John is incredibly vain and he future, future John is saying, Oh God, I'm so fat. But present John doesn't care about either of those guys in some ways laughs at them and says, ha fool. I eat this cake. I eat this cake to spite you. So I, I routinely, make those decisions just cavalierly like a, because present John is a snot. He really is. It's a greedy little snot. <laughs> so I'm gluten free in principle. And for a while, a couple of weeks ago, I was meat and lactose free. Right. I remember that. We talked about that. Right. Well, and that was all at the behest of my special new, uh, lady friend. Is she, is that her dietary style? Oh, she lives on this, she lives on this, uh, on this food system that, uh, that in some ways boggles my mind. Like we'll go into a restaurant and she will order a glass of hot water. And that's it? Like that's her meal? No, no, no. A glass of hot water and then some, some salad leaves, um, which she doesn't finish, you know? No, no, no. Leave the pomegranate seeds off of it because they're full of sugar. And, uh, you know, and and then she'll have a little, she'll have a little tuna fish sometimes. Uh, but she, you know, this like absolutely satiates her a glass of hot water and some tuna fish salad, tuna fish on salad rather. Mm -hmm. And so for, for a week I was, I was like avidly pursuing this diet and it was amazing uh, it was absolutely amazing because present John at the time was, was really into the experimentation sure. and really, into the, you know, like, let's try this because present John's very adventurous. Oh yeah. But then when I was left to my own devices, uh, present John reverted to his old self immediately. Yeah. Within hours. Within hours. Yeah. I was just, I was, I was. I had a pint glass full of meatballs (laughs) and you know, and future John was left to suck it. Right. And present John was looking at past John and saying, yeah, you're pretty virtuous, but yeah, present John is, is full of contempt for every other John contemptuous of past John contemptuous of present or for future John. He's terrible. Present John is just terrible. I have very little 
admiration for him. But this is this is something if I feel like if it was important to you, you could make a change. Oh, who knows? I mean, this is one of those things that people say about alcoholics, right? If you, if, if, you know, it's like a, your alcoholism is affecting your kids. It's ruining their lives. If they were important to you, you would stop drinking. But of course, the alcoholics love their kids just as much as the Russians love their kids. Right? People lo- love their kids, but, they're, but the alcoholism trumps it. It trumps everything. It's not to say that you love alcohol more than your kids. You love kid your kids more than anything. Yeah. But your alcoholism, it's not the alcohol, it's the ism, somehow causes you to continue to make awful decisions even in the face of consequences. Like no one ever, this is, this is one of the crazy things about being a drug addict, no one ever gets better because of consequences. That's interesting. People quit drinking. People wreck their car, right? And they'll say, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. But that never lasts. The number of, I mean, maybe maybe one out of 10,000 people has like the willpower to just draw a line in the sand and say, the end. And they white knuckle even for the rest of their lives and just say like, and I, you know, and in a way I may be one of those people just drew a line in the sand is able to exert such a tremendous amount of willpower that, you know, that in spite of the fact that we're not really pursuing a path of mental health or a path of spiritual health, let's call it that. Right. Able to stop, doing drugs just out of the sheer force of will. But that even isn't a, that isn't a a response to consequences or a result of consequences. It's more of an expression of just like furious, uh, self abnegation or furious power over oneself. Like there was no, there was no part of my decision to stop drinking and doing drugs that was based on, the wreckage of my life at the time, it was much more like, I clearly need to stop this. I, there are a lot of ways this can go and I'm just going to, I'm going to do it to just say fuck you to everybody. So, but you look at, you look at the people that just wreck, just wreck their whole lives. Their family falls apart. They're, they end up living on the streets. You know, they're, they die of cirrhosis. And all those consequences are evident to them. Yeah. Are they? I mean, are they, are they in a a state where they can see that? Sure. Sure. They're aware of it. And they're, it's just that their present self hates their future self or there's some component of that, of that, uh, of that insanity where the present self takes the future self, not into consideration at all. Or if, if at all, only to say, go to hell. And, and you know, it, and that's what's so heartbreaking about uh, drugs is that the sadness compounds because they're aware that they have screwed up their family and they're right. aware that they're from their children and that they have served them 
poorly, and they are also aware that all of their rationalization about it is kind of horseshit. You know, that's why they that's why they're so apparently liars. When you sit and talk to somebody like, how could you do this to your family? And they're like, well, I'm trying to get back on, you know, I'm going to come back one of these days and I'm going to make it all right. And, and, uh, you know, I was really dealing with a lot of stuff right then. And, you know, they're just like, they're just churning all this bull. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they know it and you know it, it's just that they, you know, they just can't, they can't be honest because it's too ugly to look at it but yeah every you know you don't you don't do that to yourself and not know it's just that you can't you can't stop and you can't understand you can't explain why you would why you would ruin your family defies explanation so i sitting here white knuckling it right i'm not gonna i'm not in danger of using drugs or alcohol but i'll sure as shit have a piece of chocolate cake tonight (laughs) Because that still governs me, you know, that mentality of just like the future is imaginary and I do not care how this plays out. I am going to, I'm going to go into this and, and explode in a ball of fire. Um, and it, and then, and it defies reason. You know, you cannot, you cannot apply reason to it somehow. It, it's because it's, because it's all emotional. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this gal. She is content with a glass of hot water. Right. And some seeds. <laughs> like she doesn't even eat nuts or legumes, but will eat seeds. And I'm like, this is this is um, hilarious to me because I often denigrate vegetarians or vegans by saying that they eat birdseed. But literally, if you put, I think, birdseed in front of her in a bowl, she'd she try. would eat it. She would, she'd eat it like the Roadrunner. <laughs> and she, you know, she goes like great gangbusters. She'd climb a flagpole right now if you if you put some birdseed on the top of it. Yeah. And you know, like, was, if you she, put a piece was she sort of the instigator in you, you trying the new, the new uh, diet, or were you simply like you're doing it? Yeah, maybe I should try it. No, no, no. She didn't instigate in the sense that she said, "Why don't you try this diet with me?" But it was more in the spirit of exploration, but also in the sense of like, "All right, we're uh, we're going to spend this week together." Do I? sit across the table from you eating like big piles of meat and gravy and and both face your food virtue right but also like the only way to the only way I would be able to do that is either guiltily and I prefer not to live in a state of guilt or aggressively just like Waiter, more hamburgers. And, you know, while she is, she's roadrunnering her lunch, I'm sitting there just, you know, wallowing, like with, with the, with all of this arrogance, ego, 
So I said, you know, it'd be so much easier to just order what she orders and see, see what that, see what happens, see how it affects me. Right. And it was amazing. There was no denying it. I could survive on that. If that, if that was all that was available to me, I would be better, frankly, better. Let's just call it what it is better. But, um, you know, I set a, I set a, an expiration date on it. Let's try this for a week type of thing. And when you, and when you went off it, she didn't, she wasn't giving you a hard time, was she? Well, you know, she lives in San Francisco. Oh yeah. So she didn't even know. Yeah. She went back. Well, she knew because I copped to it, but she went back to San Francisco and I was like, I'm going to have dim sum with my friends and I didn't eat any of the pork dim, dim sum. I just ate the shrimp ones. So it was still kind of within the category, although dim sum are little like, like fat soaked salt balls. But then I had some pho. Yeah. And you're not going to get vegetarian pho. Come on. 80% of the Vietnamese restaurants are just going to give you beef, uh, beef water anyway. You know, they're, they're like, oh yeah, this is vegetarian. Sure it is. But, uh, but then There's I nothing, have nothing about pho can be vegetarian in my understanding of it. I don't know. Not really. I mean, if you're, it's, yeah, you can put some vegetables in some hot water. Yeah. But, uh, you know, who's going to, who believes that? Right. And, and most countries in the world, if you say, can I have some vegetarian food? They're like, yeah, sure. And they bring you a whole chicken. Right, because chicken is vegetarian. What, right, it, you know. Um, but then you know, I, it was it was a very short time before I had a pint glass of meatballs in one hand and a chocolate cake in the other, and I was like, "Wow, that didn't even that wasn't even a slide, right? That was just a precipitous plummet into into this diet, which immediately made me feel bad, like feel awful." Yeah. But here I am, and then the next time we saw one another, I was, you know, I was ostensibly eating what she was eating, but I was sneaking off to have hamburgers, and I was, you know, I went into some vegetarian restaurant and ordered ordered a tuna salad, and yeah. the tuna had olives in it, which wasn't on the menu, and I used that somewhat as an excuse to feel like all, everyone was lying to me. It's all, it's all a mental, it's all, it's all just this emotional insanity. But anyway, yeah. So when you ask me, am I gluten free right now? Who knows? Yeah, no. It's tough to say. There isn't really a clear answer. No is the answer, but, but I'm not, you know, I'm not just eating like a normal person. I'm not, I'm not eating like a, like an American thoughtlessly. Everything I put in my mouth, I've got five or six complicated feelings about. And, you know, I think, Dan, I have some version of, of body dysmorphia. In a good way or a bad, a bad way, you mean? In a bad way, just because when I was a kid, I, my mom fed me precisely the amount of food that was necessary to keep, keep me going, right? No more, right. no less. Because we didn't have a lot of money, and she was a depression baby, and so she had 
both frugality and also, uh, you know, a, a lot of uh, suspicion and uh, about about plenty. She didn't trust plenty. Yeah. Plenitude. Mm-hmm. And so we, sh- you know, the whole family, my sister, my mother, and I shared a box of macaroni and cheese. Right. Because what do you, you know, why would you eat to excess? No. But then I moved in with my dad in 1978, and my dad knew only to, to, uh, that you should have everything all the time. You know, my dad was one of these, uh, like Epicureans, but not in a, not in the sense that he loved good food, just that he loved all food. And, uh, so all of a sudden, you know, I said, I want macaroni and cheese. And he was like, well, I'm not going to eat macaroni and cheese, but here you can have macaroni and cheese. And all of a sudden I was faced with a plate with the entire box of macaroni and cheese, which let's be honest is seven ounces of food mm. or 11 ounces or whatever it is, seven ounces. But it was, it was this abundance I'd never faced before. And I, so in fifth grade, Dan, I got pudgy. And I'd never been pudgy before. I yeah. was one of these lean little kids. Right. Lean and mean. Yeah. All of a sudden, pudgy. And if Scra- you look at my... Scrappy, scrappy youth. I was a scrappy youth. A yeah. scrappy, toe-headed, precocious child. <laughs> All of a sudden, if you look at my fifth grade class photo, I'm wearing one of those rayon shirts that had little, with a large collar... That had little moons and and Saturns and spaceships on it. It was a it was sort of a black shirt, right, with little moons on it. Okay, very cool shirt actually. But the, the polyester wouldn't be very comfortable, I don't think. It wasn't. But anyway, I'm I'm I've got this like little fat head all of a sudden. I don't look like myself. And from that moment on. From halfway through my fifth grade year, I have never looked at myself since that time without saying, you're fat. From fifth grade to the present day, I have never not looked at myself and said, you are kind of gross. Well, that's not good. Well, no, it's not. Because... What's funny is there have been multiple times throughout the years where I was not fat. I was, you know, if you look at the pictures, I was just. Sexiest man in Seattle. I was third sexiest man. Well, number one to me. Third sexiest man in Seattle. I was, you know, I was in a lot of ways just gorgeous. But at the time, I was like, bleh, Mm. you're gross. (laughs) <laughs> that and 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 uh and misshapen and you know for me right now 47 years old i can still kind of squeeze into the suit that i wore to junior prom i'm i'm doing okay yeah i saw that photo yeah but i still just you know i look at myself and you go yuck you just are a big you're a big undifferentiated blob i don't think so well, but that's the thing. It got in my head when I was in fifth grade and there's this dysmorphic sort of sense, whatever one gets out of thinking that one is fat or gross. I just have been wallowing in that the, in, in that the entire time. 
And every time I see a very fit actor or model, I measure myself against that person. And, you know, when I, when I, I have this sort of self-effacing way or self-denigrating way, not even effacing, but denigrating way of talking about myself to other people when they're like, Hey, you look great today. And I'm like, ah, not really. I'm kind of an old beat up fat, uh, pile of trash. And in most cases, people go, oh, okay, well, bye. Well, how do you respond? (laughs) Yeah, bye. How do you respond to that? Right? Nobody wants to hear that. Nice. Actually, here's how I look. Sorry. Yeah, actually, no, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a dumpster fire. (laughs) And and people aren't, that's, that doesn't make anybody feel any better. Right? And I think the, I think the impulse is to set everybody at ease or the impulse is to, you know, turn the spotlight off of you or some kind of impulse to not be, to not accept a compliment, which is a, it's a huge problem in our culture that nobody is able to accept a compliment gracefully. And I'm not either. And, and so I do like, I do this whole, like I sing this whole song about like, Oh no, I'm not. Thank you for saying a nice thing. But really, if you knew, if you knew what a, uh, what a monster I, I am, you wouldn't be praising me. And people are like, great. Well, this has been a real, it's been a great conversation. Hope you're, hope you make it. Um, and I don't know, I don't know what I get out of that. And I don't know why I, I, I look at myself in that light. You know, it's not that people don't find me attractive, but when I look at myself in the mirror, ugh, just like this is, and of course, Sitting here talking to you, I don't feel this way because I'm present, John. I feel like, you know, I've got two pistols in the air. But I know that, I know that some future present, John, because there are a couple of different present, Johns. Let's be, let's be clear about that. There's the one that stands on top of the ski hill and says, you only live once into the, into the breach. And then there's the present, John, that's like, I should be back in the lodge having a having whipped cream on top of my hot chocolate. We would like to say thank you very much to Wealthfront. Wealthfront is here in plain English. Let me make it simple. Wealthfront is here to make it easier for people to save their money. That's basically it. Because when it comes to like set aside setting aside like a, a retirement account. That does just thinking about that. It, it sounds boring. It doesn't sound like fun. It sounds like research. It sounds like a lot of time reading uh, about stocks and index funds on websites. And I don't really want to spend my time doing that. I want to spend my time like podcasting or writing or being with my family or doing something fun. I don't really want to be researching index funds. And fortunately, with Wealthfront around, we don't have to. Everybody always says, oh, you know what? Start early. Start saving. It's never too late to start saving. It's never too late. But what do you do? Do you just put, throw your money in a savings account? I mean, you, you could. I guess that would be better than nothing, but you got to check out Wealthfront. Now, typically, to get access to the kind of advisement that Wealthfront has when it comes to investing your money effectively and saving you money on taxes while you're doing that investing. You would have to have like a million bucks in order to get the attention of a, like a financial advisor or wealth management professional. 
And then you're going to pay at least 1% per year in management fees, which you think 1%, like I can afford that. Sure. But that like eats away at the nest egg. That's a lot of money if you actually have a lot of money invested. Wealthfront, they're totally different. They don't charge any trading commissions and they're completely free if you use our promo code for accounts under $15,000, totally free. Above and beyond that 15K, management fee is only 0.25% per year. The best of modern technology, rigorous investment research, cutting out the middleman, giving everyone sound investment management. You got 500 bucks, you can open an account with them that'll help you save money. So go to wealthfront.com slash five by five. And if you go to that special URL, your first 15K will be entirely free of charge. Usually it's 10, that URL it's 15. That means in addition to never paying commissions or hidden fees, you won't pay management fees on that first 15K that you've got. Go check it out, get the deal, wealthfront.com slash five by five. Are you one of the kinds of people who finds it like a challenge to to get into uh, like a routine, into oh, into I, like an exercise routine, or in, in to stick with a with a, a a diet of some? I'm not saying a diet of starvation. I'm saying like, oh, I'm I'm gonna go gluten free, or I'm only gonna eat <laughs> be vegetarian. Like, is that a challenge for you, or is that you just don't want to do it? Well, it's the it's the willpower thing again. It's the it's the uh, you know it's the clenched fists of determination where I have said I am pursuing an exercise program now. And there have been multiple times in my life where um, like the last time I think was 2006 where I decided I was going to go to the YMCA every day and it was a two mile walk to the YMCA. And so I would walk the two miles to the YMCA. I would go on the stationary bike for 15 minutes and then I would lift weights for 45 minutes and then I would walk the two miles home and I did it for four months probably just like this is what I'm doing right I'm doing this now but as far as even four months in feeling like this is my new life and I couldn't live without this. Like Hodgman said to me the other day, he's like, ever since I started exercising, there was, it was really hard for a while, but then I got into a place where now I would feel bad if I didn't like, I would physically feel bad if I failed to get exercise. And I'm listening to him talking. I'm like, yeah, I mean that feeling bad is a, is just another way of feeling and that what happens is I'll, I'll do this exercise thing for four months every day. And then one day I won't. And then the second day I won't. And then fuck it. I never do it again. And that's true of every diet I've ever done. It's true of every routine I've ever done. You know, I'll, I'll decide I'm going to wake up at eight o'clock in the morning. I'll, and I'll manage to do it for Let's call it two or three months, but, but then little by little, it's eight fifteen, it's eight forty five, it's nine fifteen. Pretty soon, I'm waking up at eleven again. And in some ways, eleven waking up at ten forty five or eleven is just natural for me, right? That I go. That to is your natural four, time. You you go yeah, to sleep when you're tired, and you wake up, and that's the schedule that you're on. Yeah, and I don't. That's not a thing I have to try. 
try to do, obviously. It isn't a thing that anyone would try to do. Stay up until 4 in the morning and sleep until 11. No one's going to pursue that. And I think if I had a job that where I had to be at work at noon, where it made sense for, I had to be at work at noon and I got off work at, at 9 p.m. and it made sense to stay up until 4 and sleep till 11, I think that I would resist it. Yeah. But uh, if I was if I was some late night taxi driver, right, or if I was working the some shift that ended at three a.m., um, I think I would I think I'd be mad about it. I'd stay up till seven in the morning. But whatever, yeah, because it's go to sleep when you're tired. That's yeah. what it is. It's not go to sleep at a time, but go to sleep when you are so exhausted you can't keep your eyes open. And uh, that's I don't know. That's my instinct. Well, see, I think everybody's definitely put on a different program as far as when they get tired, when they want to wake up. I think people just need to, you know, a lot of the time we're not allowed to, to kind of keep that particular schedule. Like we, we want to go to sleep. Our bodies want to go to sleep at say midnight and wake up at eight. But a lot of the time we, we can't do that. We have to be up at six. So we force yeah. ourselves to go to bed earlier at 10 or 1030 or 11 or whatever. And so we're, we're sort of in that thing where we resist. And, and I think in America for sure that it is like waking up early is somehow seen as being the better thing. It's the right, it's the right. Oh, you should wake up. Oh, you slept in late, lazy. Right, but I went to bed at four. Ah, it doesn't matter. You still sleep. You sleep too late. Go to bed early. Like that's not praised or rewarded. Allowing yourself to be on whatever your natural sleep schedule is. Well, all these things that that that, that we think of as virtues. I mean, if I and this is a conversation that I have with my uh, new special lady friend because she pursues a very <coughs> virtuous life. She exercises religiously. I would even say compulsively. She eats this spectacularly um, monastic diet. And uh, she works hard. She plays hard. And, and, and in every way, virtue is, um, is, is imbued in everything she does. There's no, you could not criticize there's not even any implied criticism that would stick to this, to you know, to the the way that she structures all of these. Her response to all of these uh, areas of life where there is a potential for vice. You know, you 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 can be a glutton, you can be a sloth. Um, you know, the the seven deadly sins, and in every one of those areas. Uh, she's above reproach for the most part. And so, yeah, those seven deadly sins, every one of them I take into consideration. I, you know, I take them under advisement. And I say, well, a certain amount of sloth never hurt anybody. I mean, I'm always trying to push the envelope on them and see just exactly how much sin I can afford myself without descending into some kind of decrepitude. And I'm not 
sure, you know, I, I spend a lot of time considering each of those in, in a silo, but I, I very seldom take the, like the way long view and say, what are these seven deadly sins? Is it true? Is it true that were I to pursue a, a purely virtuous life where I woke up at 450 in the morning because nobody could argue with 450, right? Even, <laughs> even right. 5 a.m. There's going to be some people. I mean, sometimes I'm out on the freeway at four o'clock in the morning because I'm returning from some adventure. Right. And you see the, you know, at, at, at 245 in the morning, there's nobody on the road. I mean, I can drive 95 miles an hour straddling two lanes. I mean, you know, and I'll, at, at 2.45 in the morning, when I'm driving on, the, on a six-lane freeway, I drive like I am in, in the Indianapolis 500, right? I take every corner oh my God. according to the best line, <laughs> irrespective of the way that the lanes are marked. So I'll come around a big corner, and I'm on the inside line, and then I'll make my turn when it is, when it is most efficient. And cross all six lanes of traffic at a diagonal to to make the next corner at the inside, right? A, sl- a, a, a slalom. Because who can stop me? There's no, there's not a living soul on the road. The troopers aren't out at that hour because right. why would they be? And every once in a while, a guy will go by me at 120 miles an hour on a on a speed bike. Because the speed bike guys know that just as I do, that this is their moment to shine. The ones that want to go 120 miles an hour are out at 2:45 in the morning, mm-hmm. just wrapping it out. Just, <laughs> you're, you know, they're at 8,000 RPM, and they go by me like a bullet. And all I can do is tip my hat to them, like. There you are. Here's your time because I'm doing the same thing. I am completely free. But by 4:45 by 5 a.m., the roads are full of people again. Who are they? Where are they going? What time could they what time did they wake up to already be in their car with their cup of Starbucks headed somewhere at 5 o'clock in the morning? Right, right. They have to be at work at 6. Who are these? Like, what world do they populate where they're, where they're off, they're off at 3 p.m. and they're taking their dry cleaning somewhere or, you know, I don't know, beats me, but, but, but they are in, you know, they have these laurels of virtue. And I'm straggling out of the house at 11:15. I might as well be smoking a cheroot for all of the for all of the virtue, right? I might as well be going on my way to rob a supermarket because I am, you know, I'm uh, I'm I'm just doing it like like the like the angels up in heaven are just wagging their fingers at me like Bernie Sanders waggle 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 right but where but but where did it come from am i did i just get put on this earth as a as some like hibernating bear somebody that has too much too many neanderthal genes huh. 
there's just a little bit too much Neanderthal in me and it doesn't, and it just doesn't comport with the, with all of these people that have more UFO genes, right? Like all, all of these 5 a.m. people, I think just had, they just have more UFO in their, uh, in their genes than those of us that are really from earth who are like crawling out, you know, we're sort of, uh, were were golems made of mud just clawing our way out of little dens i have no idea dan i don't i don't reflect big picture enough that i have a philosophy of life that i can really stand behind and counter this this philosophy of life that is so what what feels to me like self denial? Right. I mean, when I go to France and everybody's sitting around smoking cigarettes and and spilling wine on their pants, uh-huh. I don't really feel akin to them either. Mostly because it's so smug. But like, what am I meant to do? What am I? You know, what am I meant to do? Besides swing a broadsword, which isn't skill set that's really called upon in modern times like if you handed me a battle axe and said go over this this treeless incline and fight scots Uh fight the scots for control over this you know over these sheep fields i would know exactly what to do go fight the scots heathens but the, but there's no there's there's no call for that, so yeah, I'm just leading some tribe of dinglings. Not a one of us has a battle axe, and I and I haven't I haven't sat in a mud puddle and chewed on a leg of mutton, except maybe five or six times in my life. <laughs> that is that all? And that should that <laughs> probably my natural state. I never felt more comfortable. That when somebody was like, "Ugh, what are we going to do with all this mutton that we burned in a hole in the ground?" Okay, so how did you think then? What was going to happen to you when you you ran for office and you got this elected position and you had like a cabinet and an office and all that? Or well, again, did, it was did President it was an, uh, John not think about future John? No, it was absolutely an experiment. I I knew that I was not going to do that forever. Right, it was a thing that I was going to go do. Like how long were and you going to be in office if you got, got two there? years? Two years. There That's was a, a long time to wake up at six thirty in the morning. Well, sure, but every day would be a new. Every day would be a new experience, uh-huh. and probably the last nine months that I was in office, people would be complaining about my tenure. Uh-huh. But for every meeting that I missed, for every six a.m. meeting that I missed, I would have been, <coughs> you know, out uh, at some cultural event and nobody could really you know they would just recognize that i was a certain kind of politician and not one of these oh yeah not a wonk so but i knew i knew it was an experiment i knew i was i was taking this on and running for office ended up being an experiment um and just as just as getting elected to office would have been an experiment but I, 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 I had no illusions that I was 
going to suddenly be transformed and be somebody that was, you know, up there swinging a gavel at six forty-five. It was that was never going to happen. And maybe the voters of Seattle recognized that intuitively <laughs> and said, "Look." When there's a job opening for battle axe, swinger, and mutton chomper, like you're our guy, but we don't need that right now. We need a port commissioner. I don't know. I don't think they thought that through that far. I think it was just that I didn't get a couple of endorsements that I needed. But yeah, so it's, it's back to the question. What, what am I good for? What was I made for? And do you feel that way? Do you feel like people are uh, are are made for a certain thing? Like people have a natural calling, or only maybe some people have a calling? No, I think you know. I think that traditionally there need to be a lot of farmers and some farmers end up being better merchants, and so there need to be merchants. And there need to be workers, and workers typically make a clear distinction between the work that they do during the day and their own time, their free time and their fun time. And those things are are clearly delineated, and they don't prefer the work time, they prefer the pleasure time, but the work time is really just as important as the pleasure time if only to cast the pleasure time in a in such a positive light you know there are just so many people that do that every day and are even if they resent the work mightily they make no effort to to change it you know they there are so many ways to live where you don't have to resent your work all day right but people do it the majority of people do it and it, because it works, it works for them even just to have their nights and weekends. So they're, you know, and they're all doing, they're all doing what's native to them. Even if it is just that they never thought differently, it doesn't mean that it isn't native. So the, you know, the farmers are probably the hardest working of all people because their job is never done. Right. My mom was talking to me yesterday about the canning that they used to do. She said they started canning in June and they canned different things. You know, in the fall, they're canning vegetables and fruit, but in the spring, they're canning chicken. You know, she said that they would slaughter a hundred chickens and sit in an assembly line, the men out in the garden chopping the heads off of chickens (laughs) and the women then parboiling them cleaning them right and stuffing them into jars and then boiling the jars so that they could that they could fill the basement full of chickens in jars which and all of this work all of this canning that happened all summer long just in order to survive the winter i mean some basic stuff and canning was only however many hundred years old before that I guess all winter long you were you were growing and preserving things, smoking things, and then burying them in the ground yeah. just to survive the winter. 
But you absolutely also needed people to defend the perimeter. And there are certain people that are just made to defend the perimeter. And you, 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 you get that vibe off of them immediately. And there's so little work for them to do now. And I don't think, I don't think oftentimes the people that become professional police officers, I mean, I think that they are soldiers, right? Are there, there are soldiers that are meant to defend the perimeter. And then there are, then there are people that are plotters and officers meant to command the soldiers, right? And if you're living, if you're living well, you've figured out which one of these people you are and you pursue it. And there are a lot of people I think that are soldiers that aren't meant to be. They're really farmers. And there are a lot of officers that aren't native officers. They've just klutzed their way into this job. And then there are the people that are meant to walk away from the town and walk out into the forest. And those people, you can't, I mean, that's not a thing you can fake. Nobody walks out of the village into the forest and keeps walking unless they want to. That's not a job that you undertake because you have some you have some misinformation there are a lot of people that do it who are operating on a fantasy about what's happened out there and they come back all bruised and licking their wounds and and try and assimilate but whatever that impulse was to go out there is real and and the whole town needs those people. You know, you need the ones that go out because they're the ones that come back and say, you wouldn't believe the acorns that are just four miles away. You wouldn't believe the, you know, why, why did we build the village here or whatever, right. whatever they do. They come back with a bunch of pelts and they say, here are the pelts. <laughs> give me some acorns. I'll <laughs> give you these pelts. You know, all this stuff, it's just, it's just native to us. And, and in our, in our contemporary society, we don't do enough. We don't do enough. We spend a lot of time saying you need a college education and the best way you need a college education in order to get a job. And the best way to get a job is to major in the sciences. And the best way to major in the sciences is to major in the computer sciences or engineering or be a doctor. And so all these people that are a sort of undifferentiated mass that really just kind of want to work and play on the weekends, they go into these things because we're, because we're spending so much time over, over the top of it, over explaining what we, we've, we've, we've put this, uh, architecture over the top of our, our native selves. And we've said, these, this is virtue and this is vice. And so all the people that kind of don't, that aren't really pulled to leave or pulled to do a certain kind of work, they all just congregate over here in this virtue category. They feel like, well, I guess, you know, I did pretty well in school. I guess I'd go be an engineer. What I really want to do is X, but just sort of go over and be and do this. And so there's all this rampant dissatisfaction and the work that we need done isn't getting done. Mm-hmm. Nobody's guarding the perimeter, Dan. Yeah, no, I know. Except these guys with criminal justice degrees. I don't even know what that is. Criminal justice degree. 
<laughs> somebody that somebody that's made to guard the perimeter knows they know what to do. They don't need a criminal justice degree. Fake degree. <laughs> <laughs>